Welcome, everyone, to Media Made Me here on the Brazilian Dragon Podcast Network. My name is Felipe, and in this series, we are going to be diving deep into how content shapes people's personalities and individuality. And today, I am joined by the one and only Alec Hester of uh, so many different things. Alec, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, how are you Felipe. Doing? I, I'm doing good, man. Uh, this is really exciting. I gotta say, I seriously love the idea that you have here uh, for this podcast. As soon as you asked, I was like, that sounds amazing. This is the lowest pressure podcast I'll ever have to be on because I don't have to have any materials prepared. Like sometimes, to, I guess, start off on one of the things I do is I'm a happiness researcher, or rather I work in behavioral health research, positive psychology. I usually say happiness science because it's the easiest thing for people to understand as a buzzword. Uh, but, you know, I've gotten an opportunity to be on podcasts before where I've got to have all of this stuff and I'm worried that I'm going to say the wrong thing and not be scientifically accurate. Uh, and I also do cartoon-related content, which I'm sure we'll get into, where I have to take all of these meticulous notes and make sure that I'm running the ship. So th the idea of just being able to talk about myself for a second, that's the easy stuff. And uh, I I'm excited to get into it. Uh yeah, no, thank you for being here. I'm super excited to chat with you. Uh, you were one of like the first people that I thought of in terms of like, so I have like different ideas of who I want to talk to for like each season which each season is planning to be 10 episodes where i have like a couple of people from different like small groups uh but like in terms of like self-starter content creators like uh that you were like one of the first people i thought of uh because you and your brother have a very fun cartoon channel that you talk about cartoons you're also a podcaster on the brazilian dragon podcast network uh under the gravity bros which got me to watch gravity falls and so thank you for that, because I really had a great time watching that show. Um, you added that little uh, fun to my life uh, during that time period. And uh, you're just a very fun guy to talk to. Uh, we did a podcast last summer that I was like, oh, it's not going to be more than like 75 minutes, 90 minutes. And we went on for like two and a half hours about Total Drama Island. So I know we can we get along great. Uh, we are very similar in that way. Uh, so I always love chatting with you and I am curious to hear your story and learn more about you. Yeah, th thanks, Felipe. And I realized I did a horrible job of answering the very first question <laughs> that you asked me of, hey, tell us about yourself. I'm like, Felipe, I love what you're doing here. This is just a great podcast, uh, which is interesting because I do Answer this like question I, with another question. Like, <laughs> like, Yeah, I default to this. And I think that it's also a bit of the uh, podcaster in me the experience that I've gotten so far kind of in this medium is always trying to pass it to the other person uh, to kind of get their thoughts. But to give the best description that I can, I mean, the most interesting parts of my life are that I currently have a YouTube channel called Jester Bros Cartoon Theater. I do it with my brother, Lou, and we're really passionate about animation of all kinds. So we do reactions to a lot of different cartoons that have existed, are continuing to exist right now, and really just trying to explore the scope of what cartoons in general mean to people and what they are. Uh, we do some of that on Twitch, where we'll do tournaments and brackets. 
of uh, different cartoons and shows. And then, like you said, we're on your podcast network doing a Gravity Falls rewatch. And I think that a lot of my love for animation and cartoons did stem from a really young age and eventually led me to working at Disney for 10 years. And I, I guess probably to some degree, even to get into happiness research, if I really think about it. So, I mean, I, I guess we can dive in. Yeah. How do you, what do you think is the best way for me to sort of uh, well, explain myself here? Like one thing that I want to just discuss quickly is that I, like I said, I feel like we have a lot in common and like, I love animation cartoons, like Disney movies. Like um, I'm working on a stand-up joke that is like about how animation is fun. And like, that's going to be part of my personality as a stand-up comic is going to be like, like person who likes cartoons and kids content and quotes because like Guillermo del Toro said at the Oscar animation is a medium for everyone yeah um, and I think that is hopefully something that we continue to see a conversation around because yes there is like it is appealing to kid because of the vibrant colors and like the fun stories the songs of course but like all that stuff is fun and lighthearted. and at least for me I know I attach myself to it because there's so much darkness in the world and like, it's kind of an escape and it's a lot of fun. I don't know why you get there. We'll probably discuss that today. Why you love cartoons as much. Um, there's also so much you can do creatively in storytelling that you can't like do without thinking about it in terms of uh, live action. Uh, but this is not about me. This is about you. We'll get there in a second. But I also love um, working with kids. And I don't know if that's something that appealed to you about working at Disney, but there's a lot of like kids who go through these tourist attractions. If it's like from a big studio company. Um, so like seeing their eyes light up because they still have like this wonderment that even as, as I love all this stuff, like you, as an adult, you, like you can't capture the innocence that you once had in your first encounter with these things. You get to experience it vicariously through like the excitement that you're providing to a child in terms of their first experience at Disney world or you're showing them where like some of their favorite movies were made if you're a tour guide at a movie studio for me in my example um but yeah so uh anything you want to add to that discussion like anything that made you interested oh yeah i mean you're speaking my language because this is a lot of what we get into on our show and i think that we've even played with a slogan to end every episode with the quote cartoons are for everyone yeah and it's interesting to me because i have in interacted with a lot of people in my life who they can't get their mind to the place where they can enjoy something that is considered for everyone, right? It's a thing where, uh, this, it's, this animation is childish to me. I can't understand it. Sometimes they'll be better about embracing the adult animated scene, which oftentimes I personally find very crude. Uh, it depends because there is good adult animation out there. Japan has done an amazing job with anime, making things that I believe are more mature, uh, yeah. admittedly. And I, I think that there's a misnomer that mature means that it has to be super adult, and it doesn't. Uh, there's shows like Primal right now uh, that's made by Gennady Tartakovsky, who's an incredible animation creator who also made Dexter's Lab, Powerpuff Girls, some of these shows from our childhood. And that's a little bit more adult. You know, he also did Samurai Jack, which is similar in tone. Uh, and, and I really feel like he's struck a balance of, oh yeah, like this is a little bit bloodier, so it's a bit more intense, but this is something that adults can enjoy, kids can enjoy, and it's not that far of a line to cross. Uh, and I know it gets complicated about what is considered appropriate and what's not, but there's so much amazing animation that's been made out there. And I, I guess it's 
weird to me that people think that because this is appropriate for kids, that immediately that means that it's not for adults either, as if yeah. there's no kind of common bridge that a kid and a adult can enjoy together. So I think family entertainment is the best way to put it, right? And the shows that do family entertainment the best are always the ones that appeal to me the most. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. And just to like circle back to what you said about like adult animation, like they're like at the end of the day, a lot of the storytelling is business. Uh, like you have to like market the shows and like you have to find an audience because that's how you're going to uh, make the revenue is uh, through the marketing. And a lot of it is easier to market to kids, but there's also like the adult animation, even though it's quote unquote adult, at the end of the day, it's mostly like 13 year old boys. Like my most investment in family guy ever was when I was like 12 to 14 and going home from school. And instead of doing my homework, I would eat a snack and watch family guy on Netflix. That was like me. Uh, now I tried to put on an episode of family guy one time recently. And it was like an episode that I loved as a, like when I was in that age and I was like, this is whatever. It's like that. Like, it's not speaking to me in the same way, just cause it's like a lot of like, like cheap humor. That's like, yeah, it's funny for like people who are like growing up, but it's not, uh, as wide appealing. Um, whereas like, there's like a lot of smart animation. Like, I mean, one of my favorite animated movies is Klaus. I also love Spider-Verse. And these are like both movies that like I think more adults should be watching just because what they can do is so creative. And it's not just for kids, although they can be for kids. Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think that animated movies actually... I don't want to say they do a better job of appealing to a wider audience, but I do think they reach a larger audience mm -hmm. because when something is in a theater, it has attention from a lot of different circles and it's getting trailers and maybe some adults are going to decide to test the waters on it. Whereas I think there's some great shows. animated shows that a lot of adults probably would really like, but they're unwilling to give it a chance because they can't destigmatize it in their mind about this being a little bit too childish. And yeah, some of them have childish themes. Gravity Falls is one of my favorite shows. And there's no doubt that part of it is sort of like the story of these two adolescents who are going through adolescence. And that's probably something that's not going to appeal to everybody right away. But I think that to some degree, like my brother and I are able to find relatability in the fact that these are siblings going through this summer adventure, something that we went through as well. And I guess maybe to me, this genre or maybe not genre, but animation that is at least targeted for a younger demographic, it almost brings me back to my childhood in a way that is really hopeful. And I, I guess you mentioned the optimism side of it. That's 100% true. Like, I think a lot of people want well-crafted narratives and good stories, but people like myself don't necessarily want the really intense real-life stuff. And, I, you know, just to kind of go back, so, something that I've thought a lot about lately, there was a point in early Hollywood where as movies started to emerge, everybody understood that this is Hollywood, like this is a glamorized version of real life. And somewhere along the lines, it shifted into... Everybody is becoming what they are watching. They are learning lessons from these things that are on the television, on the movie screen. And I think even more uh, recently, all media seems to try just trying to be going for this really intense, uh, gritty, real life depiction of everything that's happening, at least when it comes to. Uh, live action shows and if you don't do that then you are considered for a younger demographic almost automatically and that stuff it's just too much for me I don't like it it makes me feel bad and the number one thing that I can get out of media is really just having fun and feeling good at the end of watching it you know real life is scary uh 
we can talk about the pros and cons of escapism, but the truth is I'm kind of an escapist guy. And yeah. I don't think that that makes me naive to the world. No. And I agree with that um, with you. Like there was like, I mean, just uh, recently I was having a conversation on a podcast. We were talking about Marvel with Daniel Strunk and he was like, yeah, when She-Hulk was on, it was like during the boom of all this pop culture stuff, like house of the dragon indoor rings of power. And he was like, well, I just also felt overwhelmed by it. And some days I had a bad day at work and I don't want to consume myself with that. And I just like, we'll put something else on. And I really like that mentality because like, A, some stuff is really heavy. Like, I mean, I was talking with my friend yesterday while I was driving him home uh, that he was talking about euphoria. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm in the place right now with like everything that's going on in my mental health so that I can commit to that. I have to wait until I'm in a happier mood. But even still, like, I know that show can depress people, like, because it's, like, super dark. And even if it's, like, something that I want to watch and I just am tired and I'm not in the headspace for, that's, like, totally cool to, like, go pop on an animated movie or a cartoon. So, like, something light. Like, sometimes I'll like having a cartoon on when I, before going to bed because it's easier to just, like, not think as hard, A. But there are some really cool themes in there. So it's like, it's still a rewarding experience. And also it's just like fun and vibes and like, not that they can't do dark and gritty stuff, but they can also fill it with like a lot of like fun and like there's animation for everyone. Yeah, I totally agree. And I don't want to come down too hard on those shows because it's not that they're bad and it's yeah. not like people oh. are wrong for liking them. I mean, them. Euphoria like... got like Zendaya two Emmys. Like it's a good show on paper. I haven't seen it, so I can't actually say uh, with an opinion, but as a fact, like it's cleaning up awards. But I just like, it's dark and it might not be for me at all, if not just at this time. Yeah. And that's actually interesting to me, Felipe, that these are also the things winning awards. And I do wonder what the ramifications are to continuing to award like the darkest, grittiest stuff that's on television. I guess it's not all the time. And maybe, you know, I, I might be generalizing here and sort of just uh, projecting the things that I don't necessarily like in media. But I just feel like some of the fun that you can have with not just animation, but maybe certain comedies and other genres, it's just underrated to me. Yeah. Like, I don't understand why people don't go out of their way to use their media consumption time to feel good about what they're doing and watching. And this might start to tread into the territory of my background in happiness science. Yeah. No, this is like so interesting, especially when I feel like I want to be part of the conversation. It's like, at what point does watching things become homework versus like become joy? Like, uh, yes. this is an offline conversation that we can definitely have because I am interested in getting your takes. But uh, one last thing before I actually want to start like diving deeper is like, so you mentioned your brother, you like myself or the older brother. Um, I believe your age difference is like three years, right? That's correct. Three? Yeah. Okay, yeah, me and my brother are six years apart. But I think part of the reason why I don't think it's the sole factor because I think even if I was an only child, I would still be as into like cartoons and all this stuff. But like the fact that I had, I was watching over his shoulders, AKA watching myself because I liked a lot of the stuff that he was watching that was more for him. But like, were these younger shows like that, like I might've been aged out of, but he was there. So I was watching with him. Do you feel like that affected you at all? He said, That's really fascinating. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I definitely always felt like everybody around me was growing up a little bit faster than me. And that also came with kind of being on that birthday cutoff. Yeah, where, you know, you I know being the I youngest kid about. in your, your grade, like your entire uh, time going through school. 
but but it is definitely true. I remember when I was probably like three or four, this still sticks with me, when I tried to talk to one of my little friends about uh, what I saw in Blue's Clues, and the reaction was, you still watch Blue's Clues, Oh, uh, I got that with Winnie the Pooh in kindergarten and first grade. Like, But like, because I was also in the cutoff uh, yeah, actually, we have no, similar that, birthdays. Yeah, and you know what? It would have actually been yeah in school because I was in yeah. school, so like five or six. But it's true. Like I, I was like, I don't know when I even missed the buck that this was suddenly too adult for me. And of course, when it comes to educational content, you do eventually move on to other things. But I guess I always felt like uh, I, I was enjoying things that were for were uh, sorry for a bit of a younger demographic. It was always with me and maybe my brother being there was part of that and he probably also got exposed to stuff that was maybe a little bit too old for him and what's weird is that he tends to enjoy that kind of stuff more and i wonder if there is any kind of correlation there at all yeah no i'm interested like i feel like they should do studies on this um put it out there media scientists uh so uh but i want to get to know you and like at least in terms of the starting point i want to like get a sense so like with this i'm like not excluding any media like if you want to talk about music books video games whatever tiktok go for it but like for sure like with with me my bread and butter is going to be movies and tv and i think similarly with you those are like the two bigger ones but if you have anything you want to talk about in terms of any other like assorted media feel free to like go there um but uh in terms of like your earliest memories with media what do you remember like what was your stuff that as a kid you were like really into or that your parents told you anecdotally that you loved? Because, like, I know for me, it was, like, Sesame Street, PBS Kids, Winnie the Pooh. Those were, like, kind of the big stuff for me. Sure, like, at the earliest level. It's interesting to think about because some of that's obviously muddy because it's so yeah. it's so long ago. Uh, but one of the earliest things that my mom said used to happen is that I would just sing Bare Necessities to anybody who would listen to me every single time that somebody came over. And I don't have any memory of that. I don't have a memory of watching The Jungle Book as a young kid, but apparently I loved that. And I think it's interesting, you know, as I consider whether or not I would want to be a parent in the future, I've kind of looked at what age I would want to show my kids different things. And it seems like my parents showed me a lot of Disney movies at a super young age. Uh, Like, when I would expect to have been watching things like, I don't know, Bob the Builder for some reason is the first uh, educational show that comes to mind from the early days. Uh, That's not to say that that stuff wasn't there. Like I I definitely remember Blue's Clues really, really well. Um, And I think that that's probably a story from a lot of kids. You know, I'm about 29 now. So, you know, if you age yourself in that, you, you might relate as well, but yeah. Well, so, like, I remember Disney movies, at least with me. So I'm a couple years younger than me. Not younger than me. I'm younger than you. Um, uh, I'm around your brother's age. Uh, But uh, so I just remember, like, some Disney movies, like, kind of were there. Like, I remember Jungle Book was a big one. Like, Peter Pan, uh, Aladdin. Like, the Renaissance was, like, and then Toy Story, of course. The two Toy Story movies were very uh, seminal to me. But, like, Disney movies for me, like, more so came at, like, the early childhood but like a little past like the toddler era but uh it's cool to hear that like disney like which is an important part of your life story as it is mine not as much because i didn't i haven't no that's a lie i worked for disney but i haven't worked at a park or for a long period of time i worked on a show that was on abc so technically i was a disney employee but uh not in the sense that you would assume uh it's cool that it was such a big part of your life from an early age Well, yeah, and if I could expand on that too, my earliest childhood, well, second earliest childhood memory was being in Disneyland. And 
I, there's two parts of it that I remember really well. It was being in 20,000 leagues under the sea, uh, which now is the Finding Nemo submarine voyage, but you went underwater. And I remember being underwater with all these bubbles and real fish. And, you know, your childlike imagination just goes wild. Your eyes expand. It's like, wow. Um, and then Peter Pan's flight. I remember going through the room of stars and once again, feeling like, whoa, I'm flying. This is real. And what's interesting to me about both of those is that they are like sensory experiences. And I don't know if you've ever seen like YouTube videos of kids going through tunnels where their eyes just dilate and get uh, just blown away by the experience that's around them. But I remember that really well. And I also have a picture of like hugging Tigger from that trip. So I think that my parents did a lot of priming with me for some of these early Disney movies that made me even more excited to go. And I wonder if maybe that's part of the reason, because I was about three when I went to Disneyland for the first time. Uh, And and I'm grateful for it. Something that my mom and dad, but especially my dad, I I think did really well because he also loved animation and these different cartoons and he drew himself uh, was just instilling all of this amazing optimistic content to me from such a young age and everything that we watched was fun i don't remember as a kid almost ever seeing anything that wasn't and you know things started to scare me really early like if it because i started to associate media with the sensation of fun and if anything didn't Mm -hmm. make me feel that way i didn't want to consume it and that stuck with me for a long time but i'm grateful for it in hindsight because i i remember these things so fondly and they've become so nostalgic and an important part of my life yeah, no, I, I remember, uh, like like you, I don't remember much about my first trip to Disney. It was Euro Disney because my dad had a conference in Paris and my mom oh. went and um, like, and my aunt also. And I remember, I have like a, a couple photos that like stand out where like me with Pluto specifically, my mom, Pluto and I. But I remember like seeing whether it was like walking around, like there were boats, like I can just like try to picture it now and like the big fairy things that they have. And also... I want to say there was a Tarzan show there um, where I vaguely remember like a Tarzan play or some sort of like, uh, because like Tarzan was just out at that point. That that would have been Tarzan rocks. Yeah. In Paris. Uh, I, I don't know for sure that it was in Paris, but it would have made sense. By the way, um, remind me to send you a YouTube. You probably already watch it, but like there's this YouTube Jeopardy Disney thing that's happening right now uh, with the YouTube account inside the magic which I'm like, let me send you that because they do one every week. And I'm like, okay, this is actually up your alley because like, A, you've been a Disney cast member and then B, you also like Disney movies. So like you would probably like clean up Disney Jeopardy. Yeah, I'm very um, familiar with Inside the Magic, but I uh, am actually not familiar with that. I will send you a link. Yeah, so. Uh, okay. Because like, uh, it's been something that every week I'll watch and like, it might not be the first thing I watch that week. It might be a couple days, but I think you would enjoy it. But um, do you think any of these, like, I mean, obviously you work for Disney. Do you think it has any effect on, like, your personality? Like, yes, Disney gets the, like, reputation of being like, oh, yeah, in hindsight, like, everyone's has a parent that's dead or, like, it can be dark. But, like, I feel like there's, like, a lot of lighthearted songs, like, fun, vibrant colors. I mean, like, Aladdin stands out for me as a childhood as, like, something with, like, a lot of pops of different colors. Um, and those colors and, like, the vibes sometimes are more of my sense memories than, like, that we talked about in the pre-show, the Mario movie vibes, but like the vibes of something can stick with you more so than like the specific scene. And you just remember how you felt. Um, I remember where I was when I watched like 
it might not have been the first time I watched Beauty and the Beast, but it was like the time that I was like the most hooked. I was like six ish. And it was just like on the floor of my parents' beds. They were both asleep. And I was just on the floor watching the small little TV, the VHS tape. Remember those? <laughs> like, and I was just remember like, it was like such a fun vibe. And I can just like associate like sense memories and like put myself back there sometimes. Sure. And my first couple movies that I really fell in love with that I can remember were Alice in Wonderland, uh, Peter Pan, and really interesting to me in hindsight, Fantasia, which as a kid, you can't imagine a kid of this generation ever being able to fall in love with a movie that has almost no dialogue. Fantasia was nothing but music and animation pretty much throughout with a little scene of Mickey Mouse in between. But my parents always did a thing where we had this set of VHS tapes in a, you know, little cabinet and we, we all got to rotate picking one. So sometimes our, my parents would pick and then that was their way of introducing a new movie to us. Or if it was my bro and I, we would probably pick the thing that we already loved and bring it in like kids do. Uh, and those were very common choices for me. And I think my parents were always surprised that uh, Fantasia was one that resonated with me. But I think the music piece is a really big part of that. You know, you mentioned other parts of your life that were influential. Um, something that you probably don't know is that our dad is a rock musician and has basically been a professional musician his entire life. Uh, and I think that music was something that was super ingrained in our family. And Disney had a way of making you really feel something with music. And even now when I work, I have this Sounds of Disneyland uh, public yeah. domain uh, site that I use to just have on in the background pretty much at all times as I work through things because the music makes me feel good still. You know, you, you just get brought back. Um, I don't know. It's almost yeah, brainwashing yeah. in a weird way, but it's beautiful. Like, just like in the pre-show working through like some of my things, like the amount of music that is intertwined with like different generations of my content consumption uh, is very important. Like music is a staple of a lot of the media that is important to me between like Disney movies, between uh, Disney Channel movies, between uh, Glee, for example, like that's at least for me. So like the fact that music is an overarching theme in your story, uh, obviously a more personal connection than me just being a fan of the music and having the associations because you're connected with it. But also like, I think there's a science behind Disney music writing. I feel like they're like, like even compared to regular musicals, like nothing hits for me, at least like Disney music. It's so fun and like satisfying and there's like a wonderment attached to it. It's pretty amazing to me that Disney has been able to do what they've done for now a hundred years is about the lifespan of the company. They'll be celebrating their hundredth year anniversary later this year. And I have always just been so fascinated by Walt Disney and how he started and how the company was able to be sustained. And as a kid, I just saw this as, well, like pure imagination. As an adult, I've started to grow an appreciation for the true history of it, the good and bad. And the business side of it, even now, as business things happen, I'm glued to my screen. And it's weird. You know, a lot of my friends who worked for Disney for a long time ended up being jaded by it, uh, which is unfortunately a more common experience than you would hope. I think it's gotten a lot harder to be an employee there. And if I start to say cast member, I just want to let everybody know that means employee in Disney speak, because sometimes people think I'm saying that, oh, I was in the Tigger costume, but no be transparent like you're talking about being an employee at the park because i know you've had multiple jobs like in the disney realm or are you talking specifically like uh like any sort of disney employee 
when you say it's cap. a good question. So most of the time, the people who get burned out are the ones who have st- had to stay inside the theme parks the longest, working with guests on an everyday basis. Um, the ones who end up in corporate roles or backstage roles, which I did end up finding myself in, take it easier. And I think that's yeah. part of the reason that I still had a really healthy relationship toward it, even toward the very end of the time with my time with the company. Yeah. Um, that's like, I mean, it's not completely 100% why I haven't ever gone to pursued a career at Disney but it is like something that I've thought about is like with my current job is like what if I lost my love for like the company itself or like the projects more so than the company because like like if I dissociate my love of my childhood attachment to some of these stories will I color it based on my experiences with uh like working for the company and like luckily I haven't had that situation where it's anything has ever colored it positively or negatively yet uh but like for sure like I can understand being jaded by corporate culture of any kind not just like these movie making machines definitely and as you start to get more in like intertwined in the business like listen I I got my degree in sociology got into positive psychology I'm literally trying to make people happy um but that original desire, you know, was always there. It was like, I saw Disney as my way to make people happy. And as you get into corporate, even though the general job stress goes down a lot because you're not facing so much uh, volatility, which is not always bad, um, I, I guess you just start to change your perspective a lot and see it more as, oh, like I can say the most recent job that I had before I left was in Consumer Insights. And you start to take, you know, handle these surveys and you're like, I literally am trying to do something ethical with my degree. I'm trying to be in a field where I can really help people. And right now it's starting to feel more like I am helping with surveys that are designed to get people to spend as much money as they can on our product. And even if you believe in what the company is, which to be honest, I still do after all this time, um, it makes it harder. And that's why I ended up pursuing a career in behavioral health research instead. I wanted a relationship with Disney as a consumer instead of somebody who was deeply uh, involved in it. And what's funny too, is that no matter how jaded of a cast member employee you are, uh, you're going to hear the same thing from people when they leave the company. They still have feelings of nostalgia that tries to tug them back. And the shorter that they were with the company, the stronger it is. A lot of people who do the internship and leave after six months, just it never goes away. That almost solemn feeling like you wish you had a little bit more time. And I still feel that. Even though I was satisfied and comfortable with where my time left off, Disney, and listen, I'm not saying this is a good thing, but I think that it's a reality that when people love the company and they get involved in it, it's really hard to unlearn that no matter what you go through. Yeah, no, for sure. Like even like working at a restaurant that I loved as a kid, like it was like, oh, I don't want my experiences here to color the fact that I like this restaurant and have positive memories attached here. It's like weird, like working at places that like you have attachments to from when you're a child. Yeah, uh, I worked at Toys R Us too. It was my very first job out of uh, high school. And my thought process was the same. You can see what jobs I'm attracted to. I was like, oh, cool. This can at least be a thing where I feel good about it because I'm helping kids find a toy. And that was the best part of the job. But that was a horribly run organization. It is no wonder that they have tanked. Uh, I got trained for two hours. I got thrown off on the floor as like an 18-year-old kid who had never had a job. And I was so stressed. Um, Disney has an amazing training system by comparison. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, yes, your point stands. Um, in terms of like the next era of your life, for me, this was more like five to 10, but maybe it's for you, it's different. But like, where would you say like your interests with media went? Like, did it stay, probably stayed a little bit with Disney movies, at least in that time frame. But like, at this point, I was dabbling in like Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. Scooby-Doo was a big prominence in my Saturday afternoon routine. But like, what were the stories that you were drawn to at this time? Uh, or the pieces of media, again, books, like around this time is when I first was introduced to Percy Jackson, who would be important in my tween years, probably. Sure. Yeah. Uh, books were always there for me, but not something that I fell in love with until actually more as an adult when I got into mystery novels like Agatha Christie. Um, you know, I read Harry Potter like everybody else, but, um, you know, feelings on that aren't as fond as they used to be for a lot of reasons. <laughs> and it, it's like, I, I guess uh, around that time, you mentioned Scooby-Doo. That was my favorite show before I was even five. Um, in fact- Oh, wait, people... and also the the racing one. The... Wacky Races. Yes. Oh, yeah, I, that you, was so good. You mentioned that on a previous, either it might've been a phone call that we had or like a podcast, but you also, I remember you mentioned that show. And I was like, that's so cool that you were like watching this like older cartoon in addition to Scooby-Doo. Uh Yeah, well, and that's the thing. So I had Boomerang on all the time. My dad loved showing me his favorite classic things, and I was enthralled. Um, Again, if I ever have a kid, I I hope that they're able to have the attention span to watch some of these old formulaic things, because I think everything is built to have a story now. And I think that makes for stronger content, but I almost long for the days of just being able to put on a show that was consistently good and love it. Um, and the old classics did that for me for a long time. And unfortunately, now, if I were to show them to my kid, I feel like a lot of them aren't going to hold up as well as I would like them to. Um, but I still do find nostalgia in them. And I liked that my dad shared that with me. And it felt like it was something that brought us a little bit closer together as I started to watch these things. Now, Scooby-Doo is something that's held up for generations and just continues to be remade. I, seriously, one of the greatest franchises ever. And it amazes me um, that it's still around. Yeah, uh, no, I, I love Scooby-Doo. You won't hear a bad, I mean, you'll hear a bad word about some of the movies, but I love Scooby-Doo. Like, I got a photo with Scooby-Doo this year because, uh, uh, this week, sorry, because uh, uh, Scooby-Doo uh, is part of a company that just turned 100 years as well. Um, and they uh, had this big party on the lot. Um, and uh, I definitely got some Scooby-Doo swag and took a photo with him because I, I love Scooby-Doo. Like, especially for me, like those early late 90s early 2000s movies that would air on like cartoon network saturday marathons like those were the ones that were most special to me but like even like uh i remember after so i did extended day because both my parents were working parents and they had this big performance in april every year and they did one on thursday night for the parents and then the next day was friday afternoon for the kids the fellow classmates so they would all watch it and then after that that was like the the end of the show they put like different movies or TV like for everyone to decompress because we all had like hard work. Um, also probably for the teachers as well. Like they were like tired and they were like, here, just watch a movie, everyone. Um, and I remember they put on like Scooby-Doo one year and it was like classic episodes of Scooby-Doo, like Scooby-Doo and the Boo Brothers also was on that. And like just like Ooh, yeah. fond attachments to it. But as an adult, I did not like Boo Brothers because it was very boring. But huh. you put it in front of a kid and they're going to love it because it's like if they like spookier things course because i i believe like you uh don't love the horror genre no Um, but i do love genuine like fun spooky over the garden wall i think is a masterpiece um old scooby stuff that was even on the scarier side that stuff resonates with me a surprising amount and i think part of the reason is that halloween time 
was a very fun time for our family. And we would always get together and watch Halloween cartoons. One in yeah. particular, when we lived in Colorado, we would go to this uh, little cabin. We'd go to the Bear Creek cabins and we would rent this VHS tape at Blockbuster, uh, which ironically, now I live in the only city in the whole US that uh, has a Blockbuster. Um, we would take it. It was called Scary Tales. It had six Disney short films from like the 1920s to the 1940s or 50s. Um, and we would watch that. We just kept renting it, uh, every year. Um, we'd go back and we'd watch that VHS tape and I, all of those short films are so, so there's such wonderful memories that i find myself consistently drawn to cartoons that give off that vibe even now. Yeah. And during the holidays, like, I mean, for both Halloween and, uh, Christmas, oh, Christmas like yeah. I love the, uh, especially the Christmas one, the house of mouse specials that they yes! have. Um, uh, but like they're not accessible on Disney Plus, which is heartbreaking. Uh, but I like every time Halloween or Christmas rolls around, or even Thanksgiving. Like there's a couple. Of, I I just want to watch like those cartoons that I watched as a kid. Like or, like if I had the time, I would like definitely do like an ABC 25 Days of Christmas marathon every year um, of my own choosing with like selections of my choice. Uh, but it's it's just like that was like such a commonplace, and I think part of it is like the nostalgia for the commercials as well that would air sure. in between. Like that is something that kids don't won't have the association with because like there are some commercials that live rent free like jingles like um, Reese's Puff Reese's Puff like all the like uh, the, the inflatable gushers head like there's some stuff like from that era of early childhood like from the five to ten for me at least that resonate with me and that like I am very much a person who loves references. So I've been told like I have the most niche references between like reality shows uh, and like cartoons and like deep cut stuff like i will reference like one of my friends on the last podcast was saying that she called uh her friend melvin melvin do after the scooby-doo live action movie um and everyone was like and i'm like that's me all the time so i think this era specifically was very much like crucial for me but what about you like what uh what else like so the the classic holidays anything else in this era uh, besides Scooby-Doo and Wacky Races that... Yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned Roddy. Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon and Disney Channel. The thing is, if it was a cartoon, I watched it all. Mm. I also think this has been my dad started showing me old black and white movies that now I really love as an adult revisiting. But even those were lighthearted ones for the most part. Maybe as I got a little bit older, they got a bit more serious, but he still wanted them to be the most fun of the batch. When yeah. it came to movies, same thing. Willy Wonka was something that was on a lot right uh obviously it has the one terrifying scene in the tunnel but for the that's most not part the scene that stressed me out but that's not a first story for the other day like i had <laughs> nightmares about a completely non-scary scene but it stressed me out when i watched it as a 10 year old but this is uh if you really care i can get into it but uh this is your story i'm gonna be you well floor. listen now you've teased it i think that we gotta know I i'm curious as hell it really stressed me out when i found out that the peruvian kid was a fraud uh and like they had his face all over the newspapers and for whatever reason that gave me a lot of anxiety and i don't know if it was because he was like trying to be unfair i can't like unpack it this is something that i should have asked my therapist earlier today but i didn't know it was going to get into it so uh like i just remember i could not sleep that night i was stressing out and my parents like were making and i was like 10 or 11 when i watched Willy wonka for the first time the classic one um 
with Gene Wilder. And I just, for whatever reason, the Peruvian kid who lied stressed me out. Like it just gave me anxiety. It made me uncomfortable. And I can't explain why. So this is the one that lost his golden ticket before the thing started. I didn't think that was a kid. Wasn't it an adult that got that? Oh, whatever. The whole situation, that might be why. I don't know. I just remember that whole situation made me uncomfortable and like anxiety induced. Wow, that's so interesting. My earliest recurring nightmare uh, was actually a Scooby-Doo villain, uh, no matter how much I loved it. And the ghost clown freaked me out, but that was not the one in the nightmare. In fact, this almost might have been a creation of my own brain because I I couldn't even tell you what episode this thing would have been from. But it is literally just a three-second dream of it very quickly creeping up toward me, and then it would end. And I Well, there was an episode of Code Lyoko that used to give me nightmares, the zombie one. Uh, like I don't I don't do well with zombie like I I mean even with the last of us which I'm so behind on still I need to catch up but uh I'm like five episodes behind but I cannot watch it at night I have to watch it during the daytime when I watch an episode because I don't do well with horror like I never have probably never will (laughs) yeah and there's nothing wrong with that right is it's a thing where everything is going to resonate differently with different people and I would say that when it comes to animation uh, I just, it, it does bother me a little bit that people have such an adverse reaction to, oh, that's a cartoon. I'm not going to watch that. I feel like at least people should give it a shot, but it might really just be that once your mind has sort of moved away from that possibility, you're not going to like it. And I think if you didn't grow up with any cartoons, it's hard for me to imagine somebody being able to just step in as an adult and just immerse themselves in that. Yeah. Um, so uh, was what was your favorite like Nicktoon or Cartoon Network show besides Scooby-Doo at the time? Is there anything like more for geared towards you uh, that like really stands out as like, oh, I like this is the show that I will defend to, or like maybe the first one that you watched or like something that has a sentimental value as I look at my notes for uh, this topic? Uh, on Cartoon Network, I love Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. Uh, I just thought it was wickedly creative. It made you think about what your imaginary friend would look like. The characters were really likable. And even this though the plot... Reboot? Question mark? Um, Is there so, supposedly a re- so, reboot rumor? I have not heard about this, but I actually said on the record on one of the very first episodes that Lou and I ever did on Jester Brothers Cartoon Theater, I think that Foster's would be a great reboot choice. Um, I've heard rumblings. I don't know how official it is. I don't know if I dreamed it, but I feel like I'm pretty sure there are rumblings of a rumor uh, or a a reboot. Okay. I would be here for that because I think that Foster's is one of those shows that was incredible formulaic. And if they were able to add a plot to it, a narrative, then it could go some really amazing places. What's your favorite episode? Do you have one? I have uh, one that I watch sometimes every once in a while just because I'm in a bad mood and it always cheers me up. So I like, I think it might be called The Big Cheese, but it's the first episode where cheese shows up. That's mine! It's literally the same one. It's so memorable. And I remember just laughing so hard as a child. I laugh as an adult. I laugh as an adult when he's like screaming when he's going down the hill and he just wants to hang out with the bunnies and Blue is so over it. And as an adult, you think it's hilarious because his name is Mac and it's cheese, but Blue Cheese. Like, oh my God. It's so perfect. All of it. I know. And like, I mean, I've been very vocal on my podcast and like with my friends that I am a giant child. Like I love, like I have a joke that like my two favorite celebrities are Rihanna and Elmo because Elmo is like a chaotic Muppet and he's just so entertaining. And especially when like the pandemic at the start of the pandemic is when I found that clip of Rocco, people weren't on that Rocco Elmo beef until like January, 2022, but I was there May, 2020. And that was like some of the entertaining stuff that kept me going, like when I needed something just to laugh at. So like Elmo and cheese 
and like all these like chaos characters like the minions they like make me so happy because they're just full of energy a little bit of innocence is captured with that too that like they're a little childish but it's just like a lot of happiness like exuding out of these characters oh yeah i think that's an amazing way to describe it i might be out with you on the minions but definitely <laughs> in on the other two and uh you mentioned elmo also brings me to like sesame street and the muppets and these puppeteering shows uh that really resonated with me as well uh we had an interesting discussion the other day uh in our um channel's discord about whether puppetry is animation. And I think ultimately the true answer is no. Um, but puppeteering almost they're, belongs they're in its cousins. own category. They're cousins, yes. I think. I think that's a good way of saying it. And you can't really put puppets in the live action category because it's not exactly the same. And it doesn't really belong in animation either. And I feel like that's a really underutilized art form that Jim Henson really captured something amazing. I, I don't mean, know if it, anybody will ever be able to do it as, as good. I, I mean... I'm so mad at my mom and brother for seeing The Lion King on Broadway without me because that cool. was like, that's the show I want to see the most. I did a whole paper about the puppets in high school uh, in this like musical theater class, the history of musical theater. Um, and like the puppeteering in uh, The Lion King is so incredible. And I think it's just such an underrated art form, like, because it's in the theater space, but I think we need to like celebrate puppetry more. And like, I think it's like a little bit connected more towards stop motion animation, I would say, than like true, like, animation but i think they're like all in the same family they're just like uh this big family reunion where they all are connected yeah absolutely uh, yeah and i guess that's what the interesting thing about the jim henson creations right is they all do feel like they're part of the exact same world yeah. um also for those who haven't seen it the muppets haunted mansion special from disney oh, plus that aired I watched like two it both years, years ago yeah. oh i loved it thought it was so good I mean i also i mean i love the muppets whenever they do anything but the muppets whiz Maybe the Muppets shouldn't be doing that musical, but I loved it as a kid when it would air on Disney Channel Monstober Month. Wow, uh, see, that's one that I haven't even seen. Okay. I need to delve deeper into Muppets lore. Because uh, should, I love after I finish so Scooby-Doo, should we do the Muppet, the Muppet uh, Cinematic Whoa, Universe? Whoa, that's an or interesting Or maybe when you idea. and your brother finish Gravity Bros, you can do the Muppet Bros or something. Like, oh, we can, we can find it something. We can find a home for Muppet content here. Well, I feel like <laughs> Muppet content needs a home. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Who's your favorite Muppet besides, like, um, I, I don't know if it is Elmo, but who is your favorite Muppet? Ooh, it's probably Fozzie Bear. I, I'm a sucker for a good dad joke. Waka, waka. Yeah, there's like none that I don't actually. And I'm, I've got a sweet spot for Gonzo a little bit. Okay, you know he's always getting himself into trouble and still trying his hardest anyway. Yeah, um, I mean Elmo is, but I love. I, I'm more of a Sesame Street guy in terms of the Muppets, but like I love Kermit and Miss Piggy. It's a little bit of a toxic relationship kermit needs to uh get out but uh yeah. uh they're they're iconic duo like you can't no you can't uh forget about them uh i also love animal chaos muppet at his finest well he's getting his own show electric mayhem coming soon to disney plus an entire show about the band i love it yes um, i'm really excited for that one um my wife always says that uh zoot the saxophone player looks like my dad and i can't unsee that <laughs> so every time he's on the screen i laugh that's that's amazing uh so i want to ask you now about like so like we've would you say we're at the point where like you're maybe 10 ish and like you're starting to like go to middle school and maybe even early high school what was this alec into oh man uh was it still cartoons of some variety or were you starting to get into like teen dramas of sorts definitely not i was still into cartoons in fact this is when i started getting involved in cartoon form sites uh, and Ooh. there was one called the Toon Zone Forum that I 
loved being a part of. It was a really active community with tons of people who were into all kinds of different animation. And it, this was about the era where I felt like my peers stopped watching cartoons. So I felt a little bit alone and, oh, I've got to find other people to be able to talk to about these things. And um, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, it's hard for me to even remember exactly what my favorite cartoons were. It was basically whatever was on, I would watch. So it's kind of what you would expect. I still loved SpongeBob. I got really into SpongeBob. Um, I, you know, I was even on forum sites for that. I was on uh, Total Drama Island is where it like- We've talked about this on, on the Total Drama Island podcast. So we don't have to rehash everything here, but yeah. Alec was deep into the Total Drama fandom. Super deep. If you're ever curious, um, feel free to find the episode I guest start on. Cause I also tell a story about how I got in too deep and uh, basically got harassed for the better part of a year uh, as a result of being in a Total Drama fan I'll site. I'll link it but- in the show notes. Sounds good. But also, uh, it ended up having me meet a person who referred me to the Disney College program and is the reason that I ended up at Disney. So it had a happy story in the end. And is the reason he met his wife. Yeah, ultimately all of it. Pieces together. Not like, not one-to-one, but like it is the reason that you have found your wife. Like That's right. I wouldn't have met her if I hadn't been at Disney. And the timeline worked out the way it was meant to. So, you know, sometimes these things happen in our lives. And I would genuinely say that that's a thing that I still have uh worries about it still bothers me to this day Mm -hmm. and i if something catches me at the wrong moment it is a little bit triggering um because i really felt uh just unsafe i felt like there was somebody who was trying to find personal information about me and i just couldn't be comfortable anywhere that i went uh and yet the way that turned into the greatest blessing of my life i think is a reminder that sometimes there's always light in the darkness um and i don't know it's weird how everything leads to one another and how, yes, it's animation that got me here. And I still love total drama. I have a ton of love New and nostalgia season comes for out it. Soon. I know. I, I, I hope it's good. I hope they can finally yeah. deliver on an amazing concept, which to be honest, I feel like they maybe never have all the way. Um, mm-hmm. But it didn't stop me from loving it. You know, it was an imperfect show that uh, I, I was obsessed with. There's also beauty and- in imperfection, I think. Which is like, yeah. like it, the fact that it is flawed means that it is more lovable. I think, like, I don't think anything is ever going to be perfect. Like, sure, it perfect, also got me perfect into Survivor. Movie, I don't. I can probably find something. What? I, I said it Sorry. also got me into Survivor because Total Drama yeah. Island uh, and is the on this Survivor podcast. Parody show. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that's how I met Felipe. Yeah. That's how I ended up on Rob has a podcast talking about some of my uh, psychology endeavors, and yeah, everything happens. Uh, and most I don't want to say for a reason bone. necessarily. Yeah, that's right. Survivor Gabo was the first season I watched. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, you have a soft spot for it. Like I have a soft spot for One World. So because of Total Drama, you found Survivor and thus the reality TV side of things. Yeah, which I guess is an interesting transition um, because that was kind of when I got more immersed in a different type of media. And I became really interested and obsessed with reality competition shows. Uh, It... Also, maybe was a piece of when I'd been reading Agatha Christie, uh, the author that I mentioned earlier, she has a book called And Then There Were None, where basically the premise is that there's 10 characters and they all die one at a time. And uh, I found that, that that concept like really gripping and fascinating. Something that I liked about that book and everything about Agatha Christie, it, I was able to use my own imagination. So it wasn't as scary to me as the screen. So even though that's a very frightening concept in theory, it didn't really bother me on the same level that it would have if I saw it on television. Uh, You know, and and, um, 
I think that was part of it. Total Drama Island was part of it. And next thing I knew, started watching Survivor, Amazing Race, Big Brother. Um, I ended up getting my roommates, my two best friends now, really obsessed with it. And they actually introduced me to Rob Has a Podcast. They've oh. since fallen off the reality TV bandwagon. And I, I mean, myself am even le- less enthusiastic than I used to be, but um, I'm still kind of there. Likewise. Yeah, no, I think uh, for me, a lot of the draw in hindsight was the social experiment part of it like i am Mm -hmm. always interested by social dynamics and um i don't know we this is a whole thing we could unpack but unpack but like the gameplay was a factor like i mean before survivor for me was like total drama and also american idol and the glee project which is another elimination reality show because me too i watched that and i love the concept of like okay there are all these stories and then someone's story is going to end i mean even as a kid i remember one of my favorite episodes of teen titans I don't like horror stuff, but it's the episode where all of them, one at a time, go missing. And I love the concept of, like, like playing around with groups, but then, like, how one of them goes missing, and then it's just the four of them. And then, all of a sudden, another one disappears, and then it's the three of them. Like, And I, they did that with other shows, too, and I always liked those episodes. Um, like, it's kind of like that meme that, like, SpongeBob and Patrick are running, and then someone grabs Patrick. <laughs> like, <laughs> I see people using, like, the birth years on it, but, like, I like that concept of, like, the story goes on, like the like, how it like how the story changes with different people with one less person. Um, so that is like something that was always appealing to me. And I think that's something that you mentioned on the total drama Island podcast that like, Oh, Tyler goes home. How does the story of Lindsay continue without Tyler? Like, yes, exactly. It's uh, fascinating. And I also talked about how total drama has such an amazing opportunity to craft the best version of a survivor story ever, because you are writers, right? This is a, narratively written story it didn't have to happen organically and i just feel like the potential for that could be one of the best cartoons that's ever been made and every season i wait for it to be that and i think they've gotten close so many times um i don't know it's interesting i i I want to expand it past total drama because there are a lot of shows with ingenious concepts that you wonder whether they ever realized their maximum potential or whether they didn't. And an example for this to me is I actually think the original DuckTales, even though I loved it as a kid, is not very good. And the DuckTales he reboot it, was able me. to come around. I know, was able to come around and they were able to take a show that everybody loved, but also wasn't good and perfect it in a beautiful way with compelling characters and compelling stories. And I think that's kind of the sweet sauce for a reboot. Uh, You don't want something that was beloved and good. It needs to kind of be beloved and bad. I think that's the good combination. Yeah, I'm not 100% opposed to reboots if there's a purpose. Like, I think, I mean, we haven't talked about anything live action for the most part in terms of TV yet besides reality shows. But like, I'm a Friends fan. I know some people are like, ew, friends. No, I love friends. I'm sorry. Uh, it's very big in Brazil. Obviously, that's part of my culture. My friend introduced me to friends and I fell in love with it. Um, and now it's like the biggest show at the company I work at. But uh, I love friends. I never want to see a reboot. I don't think there's ever a purpose for it. I think the story ended as strong as it could. And if they want to do yeah. a reunion every 20 years, that's fine with me. I'm okay with cast reunions and discussing the legacy of these things. But if there is a purpose to be told, like, if you are rebooting, like, I'm interested to see this new Avatar, like, because they, I feel like, have a story they want to tell with the third generation of an Avatar. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Just don't ruin it. That's, like, my only yeah. hope. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting? I'm actually higher on reboots than a lot of people. And I confess that they are worse almost every time. Probably 95% yeah. oh, of the House, time. A flop, but I love it. Okay. I love yeah, I mean, and yeah. again, Fuller House was a fun watch, but it's not like it was better. Um, oh, and I think not. that 
it's interesting what you said about like don't ruin it uh i think that i have a very easy time separating the the shows that i love from what comes later and uh-huh. if the third avatar series is bad I think I'm pretty easily going to be able to say, well, that's okay, because Avatar The Last Airbender is still the show that I love. And I won't necessarily be salty about it. I'll be disappointed because I know what it could be, but I don't think that it's going to be something that, like, really bothers me. And what's also a piece of that, it's a continuation, not a reboot. And I do think that there's maybe some differences between the two of those things. For sure, yeah. No, I think that's that's the thing. I, I think I have a healthy relationship with media, right? Where I can be disappointed with something, but I don't let it affect me. Because at the sure. end of the day, I have no control over the story. Like, I don't... I can't think... Maybe there's one example, but I'm struggling to think of it, uh, where I was really upset at how something ended. Or how something was finalized. I really didn't oh, like Oh, you know, I can give you one. What is it? You want to know the hottest take ever that you're going to disagree with so harshly? What is it? I'm the new Scooby... The, the first Scooby-Doo movie. The live action well, one? The live action one made me so angry. I loved Scrappy growing up. I was a Scrappy-Doo stan. And when he... Spoiler alert, skip ahead 10 seconds. I mean, we already spoiled it. <laughs> right. Scrappy's the villain in the freaking live action version. I love that. And... I was bothered on such a profound level. That was a younger me. Yeah. I don't think that I would have taken it so hard now. I, I still can't go back and watch it though, because I was like, you just took this character and it almost like destroyed the wholesomeness of him to me. It's like, no, Scrappy is your friend. You can't do this. Um, so I, as much as I just said, oh, I've got a healthy separation. That's one that made me mad and nobody else seemed to be bothered by it. Everybody loves that movie. Yeah, no, I'm trying to think of any, oh, I mean, this is an example. Spoilers for The Mandalorian. Uh, not this new season, but like spoilers for like the Mandalorian universe with Boba Fett. Um, I was frustrated with like how quickly Baby Yoda and Pedro Pascal got back together because I thought it was such a bold choice to separate them. And I wanted them to like, I know Baby Yoda's the show. So for for merchandise reasons and like all the other like uh, business stuff, it's, it's probably smarter to have them together. But I was like, no, this was a bold choice. Stick with it. Don't reverse course. Um, Yeah. Whereas, but like, I have a healthy relationship because at the end of the day, I'm not super deeply attached. Like the more upset I've ever been, it was like earlier on when I was still like as passionate about these reality shows as I was. Like Big Brother 17 spoilers. When Steve cut Vanessa and Vanessa lost, I was so annoyed. Not with oh, like, yeah. selfishly, like I understand people, his motivation. Um, but like, I was so hoping Vanessa could pull it out because I was captivated by her. I mean, like nowadays, like I mean, this uh, by the time this comes out, the season could be over. But spoilers for the most recent episode of Survivor. Um, have you watched it? I don't want to spoil you. That's the only uh, Yeah, no, I'm caught up. Okay. So personally, I wanted Josh to stick around just because I thought it'd be more interesting for the show. But like at the end of the day, I'm not that butthurt. Everyone's playing their game. They did what they thought was best. I wanted Josh to stay over Kane because I thought Josh and Jam Jam together would be been more interesting as a show. Now, granted, I'm watching from a viewer and what I want in my entertainment but at the end of the day, whatever. I'm not, not that bad out. I also think that they're something that I really appreciate about the culture that Josh Wiggler creates around Pocha recaps um, is that it's very, in all his content, it seems very uplifting in terms of we might not like this decision, but we appreciate going for the swing and that there are so many people who are part of bringing this story to life. Like a, a lot of people, like as someone in the industry, a lot of people just like are like the actors and the director and that's it and the writers. But there are so many jobs that are given because people are 
do this stuff. There's like people who literally are able to provide for their families because they are the prop master or they are grip who likes the actors. Like there are so many jobs that come from these shows. So the fact that like, if you don't like something, that's fine. Just don't send hate to the actors. Don't like trash the act, the vision, even if you don't like it, that's like not to get on my soapbox, but like so many people work hard to bring these things to life. I've worked on shows that I didn't love the story for, or I didn't love the like concept, but like, at the end of the day, it was giving me money. And I'm fine with that as long as you don't attack me for working on these shows. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I, I think that's a good reminder. And I also wonder sometimes how many of these are just people that are maybe under 13 acting out because something didn't go their way. And they're kind of behind like a fake Twitter yeah. user profile. Because I know that when I was younger, I did react that way. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's kind of something that happens more. And as we grow up, we realize- And with more oh, access, direct access to these people, like you can go follow your favorite actor and be like, how dare you yep. kill this character off? Um, and it's like, like, yeah, it is kids, but like there are adults who participate in the action. So like, I'm not going to yeah, say it's right. only kids. Uh, but at the end of the day, just remember like people's lives. Like um, one of my, I know people get like on Jeff Probst case about like the modern version of survivor i'm not the biggest fan of the modern version of survivor i wish it would like like dwindle back a little bit to i think the perfect era of survivor was like 25 to like 33 in terms of i think the show really hit its stride around then um in terms of like editing storytelling and like they started to get good casting at that time Uh, but now it's like a lot of twists right but at the end of the day just listening to his podcast like you can see how much thought goes into everything and it's not all his decision it's a lot of creative people who all feel like this is a good swing to take i'm gonna like at least they're going for something as a producer like you have to try things and maybe the fans don't agree with it but they're still talking about the show which is all that matters so yeah and i think that at this point having some modest success on youtube i do relate to this on a level that i didn't use to before um because i remember when the very first really negative comment came in through our youtube account it was when things started going well it started to go well fast and it was very exciting and there was so much love and all of a sudden even though i knew because i've heard a hundred podcasters talk about it how you know, you don't want to let that one thing. I still remember you. my first negative comment from the it's Brazilian like, dragon. Like, right. It, it's so weird that you can be so alert and aware that this is something that you should not react to. And I was so bothered. And I was mad at myself for being bothered because I was like, I knew this comment was going to, ha- of course I was going to get something negative eventually. And since then, in the very beginning, it was really tough as more came in. Uh, it, I would say it took probably several months to finally start developing a relationship of, oh, okay, yeah, negative comments are there, and then not let it affect you one bit personally. But it really stings at first. No, for sure. And, like, uh, for me, like, my negative comment was kind of laughable that, like, I didn't really give it much thought. But I really – I wanted to engage with it. I wanted to retweet it. And my co-host yeah. was like, no, don't do it. Like, I – like, because then – because that person looked up – so my co-host, Sam, for the High School Musical podcast for that episode – he looked into their Twitter and it was like a toxic big brother fan. And I was like, okay, ah. no, no, no need to like engage, like protect your mental health. Like, but I wanted to retweet it. Cause I thought it was hilarious. Like, and I thought right. it would also give me, but he pushed me off doing that. And I appreciate him because that was probably the smarter thing to do, but like, it's so wild. Like people who go and engage with content creators in a bad way, like just cause you, and like, honestly, like as a, when I was younger, it was like, I didn't like certain things. Uh, like certain 
um, episodes of shows or certain guest actors or whatever. And I was like, why are you bringing this person or whatever? But like, at the end of the day, like, who cares? You're just a kid. Like, you can, like, there's a lot of other stuff that you're probably going through. So it's like easier to lash out on things that uh, is distance than things that are more up close. Yeah. Um, So this podcast is a media made me, right? Do you think that a lot of this probably is a piece of the media that these people are growing up with? And, you know, it's probably not for us to diagnose it. Me being a sociology major, I I like asking these questions, but I should definitely specify that when I bring that up, um, it's more like, oh, this is an interesting thing to think about. Not that you should take my advice or uh, thought seriously on it. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I think there's a really interesting discussion that's still being had about how media affects people in general. We've talked about how much it's affected us uh, a lot for the better, but I'm sure that there's parts of it that aren't good too. I mean, it's like the oversaturated, like a lot of these kids, instead of watching the shows that we watch, they start off on YouTube, which like probably good business for you and me, like who put stuff on YouTube. But like yeah. at the end of the day, it's also like where part of the problem i guess in a small way like because they see all these like vloggers and like youtube stars they like just want to be like and then they see all these negative comments potentially and it's just like oh this is like the media they're engaging with and it's like oh celebrity beef like breaking down if they're like a teenager and they're like oh uh i mean also like i mean i grew up uh you were probably out of it age-wise a little bit but your brother grew up with like the selena demi beef and like you had to pick a side if you were a <laughs> Selena, if you were Selena or you were Demi or you were yeah. Miley um, or you were the Joe Bros. Like there's like all these like celebrity beasts, like the the Taylor Swifties, like they like all these stands culture is gonna definitely affect people moving forward. And I think there's also gonna be some new content about it, like the Swarm. I haven't watched it, but I've heard a lot of things about it uh, about like a stand who goes uh, and starts murdering people who are against her favorite pop star, from what I understand. Whoa. Um, Donald Glover created it. So, yeah, okay. yeah, it's, an it's called the Swarm. It's like idea. basically if it was Beyonce, from what I understand. Uh, like, uh, it, like uh, the person was mean to Beyonce, and this person starts killing them. Um, but yeah, I want to actually ask you about like live action TV shows or movies besides like reality shows, like any any sure. scripted stuff that like you resonated with. Because I assume you watch something besides cartoons and reality shows. It's true. So I was a Disney Channel kid to an extent. So I watched Sweet Life of Zack and Cody a lot. That was probably my brother and I's favorite. Again, two brothers makes it easy to relate. Uh, I, I think that we watched a little bit of Phil to the Future when that was still around. That's so Raven. Um, Hannah Montana was probably the last show before we ended up falling out of that era. Um, but yeah, I was there for it. I mean, And I did get a lot of joy out of those shows for a while. But what's interesting to me, for some reason, those ones don't stick out as nostalgically. Though, at the time they were airing, I definitely was kind of obsessed because I would buy the video episodes on my video iPod that I had uh, for my favorites. And I would want to rewatch them. And it was on all the time. Um, So, I don't know. That's interesting because I know that you have a really close attachment with those kind of shows. Well, like Wizards of Waverly Place, especially like, I mean, for me that besides George Lopez at like whatever time of night you woke up and it was on, uh, like that was like the first Latino family that I saw on American TV, at least like in something that I was actively watching. Um, But like even like uh, the other live action, like I was a big Drake and Josh person and I Carly. Oh, yeah, me too. uh, Zoe 101, like those shows, uh, Cartoon Network didn't really have a ton of live action stuff compared to these two channels. But like for like the 
Nickelodeon and Disney Channel stuff and the Disney Channel original movies also were like very important to me in my like middle school years um, until I, I started like watching more like Glee and then also sitcoms for me. That was like another thing. Like when besides reality shows, I was getting into like How I Met Your Mother, uh, Friends, like I said earlier, Parks and Rec. Um, it took me till college to get to the office, but like sitcoms were also like, I watched Arrested Development and Community and uh, all those stuff uh, growing up uh, in like the high school era, besides the reality shows. Like, were you, did you have any like stuff? And I feel like now in my adult life, I'm actually more of like, I want to catch up on all these prestige stuff that I missed out. Like I, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, now I'm watching Succession and like Last yeah. of Us. And I'm trying to keep up with all that stuff. Like the, the pop culture, like zeitgeist is now where I'm at. So you know what's interesting? Because those shows are intense for me in general, I've sort of given up on trying to get into the pop cultural zeitgeist. I'll do it for shows like Star Wars and Marvel to an extent, but I have even fallen off of Star Wars. I'm this close to falling off of Marvel. Marvel. Uh, because Marvelism. Like, yeah, like <laughs> you said, it's uh, it's getting to a point where there's so much content and we have so little time. And as a kid, it felt like there was more. And now you got to really pick how you choose to spend your time. So I've got like my shows that I enjoy, but if I add another one, that's taking away from that's time sad. that I could be spending outside. I think you would like Abbott Elementary. That's zeitgeisty, but it's oh, also lighthearted. Yeah, I've been dying to watch that. Okay. Me and my wife have been talking about it for a while. So I'm glad to hear you say that though, because I also love Parks and Rec. Yeah, that was that, a show that on my I really tours, I pitch it as The Office or Parks and Rec or Modern Family, like one of these mockumentary shows, but lighthearted and wholesome like Parks and Rec. Like it's not yeah. dark and satire like The Office. It's very uplifting, um, and I think uh, you would enjoy it uh, a lot if you uh, like. It's also like the color palette is like something welcoming, and I think that's something small that you might appreciate as someone who enjoys cartoons. Uh, cool. I appreciate that recommendation. I'll, I'll definitely check it out soon. I'll also say I was never an office guy. Um, yeah. I I did watch it a lot because my cousins were really into it. Same thing with Seinfeld. I sort of liked Seinfeld, sort of liked Friends. Sitcoms were always something that I enjoyed watching. And it was maybe my earliest entry into watching something that was a bit more adult. Because uh, if I was going to not be watching cartoons, I definitely didn't want to get to the stuff that was going to freak me out or make me feel yeah. bad. So uh, sitcoms were kind of a gateway in that sense to eventually get to a show like Parks and Rec as I got a little bit older. Um, but the live action thing still, uh, I, I guess now I, I'm almost more interested in watching documentaries and same oh. thing in books. I'm almost more interested in- this. I'm interested. Yeah, well, because even when I read something, I like to read about Disney history or I like to read about positive psychology and self-help stuff uh, that can try to... I, this is kind of a, a weird tangent, but I, I've been thinking about this recently, right? I, I realized that part of the reason that I think I got into positive psychology and happiness science is because through a couple different factors, I maybe became fascinated in what it's like to optimize life and be able to try different things and put different puzzle pieces together to where, whoa, I just did this thing and I feel a little bit better today than I did yesterday. And trying to find those points for me personally that resonated in a way. And I guess that when I think about, you know, television and the landscape of media, uh, the place that I am at right now is everything that I introduce, I want it to make my life a little bit better than if it wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot now uh, for me to feel that way. Yeah, no. And I, I can empathize with that situation because like, I want to, like 
there was a moment where something clicked where I was like, this was like a year and a half ago where I was like kind of paralyzed by a decision. I I couldn't make up my mind, which podcast I was going to listen to on my drive home. And at the end of the day, this is kind of dark, but uh, sorry, there's an ambulance coming by. But at the end of the day, my decision in that moment, how I'd picked, if I were to get in a car crash and I only listened to 10 minutes of an episode, which one would it want it to be? And then I like have started like trying to like not use that dark of a metaphor, but like pick things that I actively like cut things out. And it's hard for me because I also have OCD. So it's like, I'm a completionist at heart. I have perfectionism. Like that's like uh, my OCD is generally more uh, contamination based, but with this stuff, it like is overwhelming. Like I do not like giving up on shows um, or like not listening to podcasts. It took me a while to be okay with not listening to every single RHAP podcast. Me too, uh, man. And I am really at has. a place where I am not listening to much. And mm-hmm. that is mind blowing to me because it's, it's also a reflection of the show itself that I don't care enough to engage with it as much as I used to. Um, but there was a point okay. where it was attainable though. And now yeah. it is no longer attainable because there's too much content. Yeah, and that so, ends up being the cultural zeitgeist too. There's too much content to get all of it. So you got to choose carefully. Yeah. And that's, that's like, I'm okay with that right now. Like I don't feel like the only thing that I have decision paralysis is like, there's so many shows that I want to watch. And I know realistically I can't watch everything. And like, I have a whole spreadsheet about like things that I'm watching just so I can like know how much that like I can catch up on. So I can kind of like, schedule it and like not schedule it in terms of like when i'm watching but like know what i can like how much how close i'm because i like hitting goals right so if i'm like five episodes versus something 10 episodes then it's like okay let me start with the one that has less uh so it's like that's the purpose of my spreadsheet also it helps me at the end of the year when i know what my favorite shows were but um true like that that's like something just like to connect with what you were saying like how can you optimize your life experience because you only have one life yeah and and i guess that the the shows that I'll be most likely to bring myself to are either ones that bring me joy or something that I know that I can connect with other people as a result of watching, whether it's after the show is over or during. Yeah, for sure. No. And I, but I'm actually interested more in like the documentaries. So like what types of documentaries do you watch? Uh, a lot of the time it is Disney stuff. Uh, okay. Like, like the, like Howard Ashman one, like the ones that they put on Disney plus. Okay, cool. Yeah. Because the documentary, I was like, David David Attenborough stuff like uh, nature docs or I, well I would watch those too I mean I liked free solo I thought it was a fascinating one um some of those nature documentaries I also love but with those it's hard because it, with documentaries in general um I think of them more as like a mindfulness thing or I am using this to learn and it makes me feel better about watching it uh whereas if there's a show that I can't justify watching, it's tougher. And I think that's maybe what draws me to documentaries is there's always a reason, you know, I feel like I'm going to be more fulfilled as a person because I decided to watch this. Yeah, no, I like, have been thinking a lot about like what I want to do creatively and something like, I have so many ideas, right? So it's about what I actually uh, actively pursue, but something that I was considering is like, like I was thinking about like writing a book and I was like, no, that like, I, I mean, I could do it, but I think more fun would be putting together like a documentary about the history of a show. Like, you, like all these podcasts that I examine, but like, I think it's very fascinating to talk about like the, I, I am fascinated by nostalgia and like how people connect with Ooh, content yeah. as adults and how it shapes our 
flies. I mean, that's the whole purpose of the series. But like if I did like a documentary series, like one episode on like the Disney Channel, one on Nickelodeon, one on Cartoon Network and that those like eras and how it defines a generation. Like that is something that interests me or like even a documentary about like Survivor and like like a docuseries, like like one of those like projects. But it's also like a lot of time to like commit to something like that. Sure, and, and there's some YouTubers much, that do amazing stuff like, that are the basically guy who documentaries. Did the, the, the two hour and a half documentary about the bum, 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 bum. The Disney Channel jingle, Defunct Land. That yes, is Kevin Perjurer. Land. To yeah. give him the, the name credit. What an incredible video. Everybody should see that if they haven't. That was on my friend's top 20 films of last year. He put it at 19. Um, I think that's great. Seriously, I... There, there were very few things I watched last year that made my mouth drop more and that I enjoyed more. I thought it was excellent. Yeah. Um, no, this is why I think we connect is because we have this big passion for like this nostalgia and the like modern landscape of media specifically with like animation. For me, I know it's like a lot of Disney stuff, but like you are more in deep in terms of like the current shows and the landscape of cartoons, which is still like uh, something that I want to do better at is like putting myself uh, in front of newer shows. But it's also hard because like, it's not as much of the zeitgeist and as someone in LA, yeah, I like true. to be part of the zeitgeist a little bit more than like, so I have all these lists of cartoons, but I'm also very slow at watching like things that I'm like, Oh, I can get to this later. Cause I won't be spoiled on like this cartoon compared to like uh, this, the latest episode of the Mandalorian, which I actually haven't been spoiled on. So whatever. Yeah. Well, what you know, what's interesting about the Disney fandom actually is that that is kind of the way that I have been able to stay up to date with a lot of, uh, the Disney animated series, because I would say that I do make an effort to stay in the Disney zeitgeist. If yeah. something airs on Disney Channel, I have much more interest in trying to keep up with it, uh, because I feel like it is part of this overall history that I've fallen in love with. And every piece of added history I have a fascination with, uh, including in some place in my life. So that's why I found Gravity Falls and The Owl House, which is also fantastic. That's on my probably. Yeah, I'm going to finish Amphibia. I need to watch Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Well, I've heard great things. And I love me too. Shishir Zameda, so I'm so excited for her. Yeah, and I can't wait to watch that one too. Uh, but if we could talk about nostalgia as like a concept for a little bit, because this Go is ahead. something I've done some research on in my, uh, you know, behavioral health field. I, nostalgia is such like a beautiful double-edged sword where I think that it has potential to really, I don't want to say ruin people's lives, but really mess up their livelihood to a serious degree. And I also think that it has potential to really enrich a life in a way that you wouldn't think possible. And I think that when people feel nostalgic, sometimes you react to that thought and sadness. It's like, whoa, this is something that... I used to love and I'm not that person anymore. And that really bums me out. Uh, but if you can kind of shift your frame of thinking into more of a nostalgia is a present moment experience, you feel that rush of happiness as a result of being reminded by something. And instead of weighing on the thought, being more like, whoa, that felt really good and treat mm -hmm. it like this sensation that you were uh, gifted to have. Yeah. Um, and I think that as we approach many of these shows that we loved as kids, being able to embrace that and not be thinking, oh, I miss the old times, but dang, what an amazing thing it is that back then I was, uh, you know, sitting on the couch as a child and here I am again. This time I've got a beer in my hand embracing everything or, yeah. you know, you're not an alcoholic drink of choice. For and sure. I oh, and I think it's interesting that you mentioned the Disney zeitgeist because I have noticed like since I started working at Warner Brothers, like I have consumed more Warner 
content, HBO Max, HBO shows yeah. in the last year than I ever had before. Granted, like it was like my family never had HBO growing up. So like that might be why. But like even the movies, like I have like I have the AMC pass thing and like I but like I see a lot more movies just because I work in a space where film and TV show knowledge is appreciated more than like even being on sets where like, I was like, Oh, not a ton of people are watching things. Like we can all talk about like the small stuff, but like there's not as much overlapping content, like discussion where here, I feel like there was a lot more. Oh, like I feel like I need to be watching a lot more things. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, Cause I bet that a lot of the people who surround themselves in that company uh, they work on that or they um, are interested in that stuff. Yeah. And that's how it was Disney and even Universal, the opposing theme park. They would also be the ones at Halloween Horror Nights, which was taking place over there. And they would be watching movies that Universal uh, released because oh, yeah. we went to, I, my to friends and I went to Halloween Horror Nights here, too, because it's like, yeah, like we I think we all enjoy going to the big studios like and like I have a love for Disney debating if i say this on air but like i love disney content more than i love warner brothers content and i'll say that. ah yeah you can yeah. always cut it out <laughs> yeah i don't think i can get in trouble for that that's just like no. i just like i've always been drawn more to disney content and like um but like just because i don't work there doesn't mean i don't have love for it and like uh at the end of the day like i love all different types of storytelling and like every uh studio has their differences even like small stuff like i like there's stuff that i mean everything everywhere all at once was a small movie at one point now it's like a yeah. big blockbuster that everyone loves but like it started off as a small little passion project that like didn't have a lot of legs compared to like avatar the way of water like at disney like right. so like that's just like media can be like beautiful in different ways um i know we are gonna start winding things down but before we get to like the plugs and everything and like kind of like the thesis of alec hester um is there anything like lately that has shaped your personality or media interest, like in terms of things that you're consuming nowadays? And maybe like for you specifically, how does being a married person shape your identity in terms of the media that you watch? Like, does it change at all? Uh, or like in a relationship, because even before you were married, I'm sure it like affected you. Um, so like more recently, is there stuff that you've found yourself connecting with and that it's like still shaping the Alec you are now and who you will be in a year two years in the future yeah that's a really interesting question so yeah you know when we got when my wife julia and i got married uh i wouldn't say that the way that we did things changed i do think covid changed it a lot because we lived just together at that point and we had started consuming a lot of media together uh which had already kind of done but moving to a new place after having been married and those two things combined, I do think has changed the way that we consume a little bit. Uh, in a way, we, we're probably watching less. Uh, we've actually bonded a lot over Critical Role and getting into Dungeons and Dragons, uh, which was something that I did not expect because I had a not great experience with Dungeons and Dragons or not a great ending the first time that I played. Um, and so that's been kind of nice. But I think if anything, it's more... I'm less likely to watch something alone because we really only have one TV and we really only have each other in a new place. So we really have to be more intentional about choosing something that each of us like together, not something that's only geared for one person. So yeah, I guess in that way, when you're starting to watch something a lot with somebody, 
there's a there's a level where you can share your interests with them and there's a level where they will share their interests with you and that's a really fulfilling part of a relationship because it sort of helps you bridge gaps that you may not be on exactly the same page about when you meet but eventually you sort of find that sweet spot of this is content that we can enjoy together and be engaged with not just sit here while the tv is on while somebody's on the phone but really watch and embrace uh something that we are really loving uh you know at this point I, I'll even say, because I've been thinking about starting a family. We've been thinking about starting a family uh, sometime soon. So we've been watching Bluey because we've heard that it has really wonderful parenting advice. And that is a phenomenal show. Like, Oh, my I, Phineas and Ferb co-host, Will, loves Bluey. And he is, uh, he's not single, but he is not in a place where he's thinking about family yet. But he loves it. Yeah. He just watches it for himself. Here And here's the thing about Bluey, right? It hits on a level of comfort that you know you're not getting in very many shows that you watch nowadays. So I almost would recommend it to anybody because it's so cozy and non-threatening and you feel like it's wholesome on a level that's going to make you feel pretty okay no matter which episode you watch. So what you're saying is drop Succession even though I'm so close to catching up and just watch Bluey instead? Kinda. Yeah, especially if I'm like not doing well mentally lately. <laughs> I'm okay. telling you, like, so I'm sure Succession is fine. I've never seen Succession and I don't need to. I know that a, a lot, lot of toxic people white people. I don't it. think you would enjoy it. Probably not. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't like it in real life. So I, I, I don't know. It, again, I internalize things when I watch them, right? Mm -hmm. I really feel them in the core of my being. And I almost put myself in a position where I almost believe they're true. And I've always watched oh. TV like that since I was a kid. So that's why some of these things that are harsher they bother me on a more profound level. Like I, I can't just wipe it off. Like some people might be able to, which is funny because I have no problem wiping off anything that bothers me in real life. Like if somebody just throws an insult my way or I'm not going to call uh, Lou, but no. And I, it doesn't bother me very much when inconveniences happen. I'm pretty ready to yeah. let that roll off my back too, but watching media and putting myself in the shoes of a character can really just like destroy me from the inside. I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's interesting. For sure. Uh, I, I didn't want to pull uh, something that your brother would have pulled when you were saying that sentence, but I definitely had a thought. <laughs> like, yeah, um, I, my brother is not like me. That's, that's yes, for sure. He would have he he interrupted you and made a, a joke about some, one of the way you phrased something. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's likely. Um, but no, so like, even, but like just Josh Wiggler kind of has like um, a phrase that he utilizes a lot where it's like, media meets you where you are and like obviously i'm not going to recommend to you to watch succession i don't think that's something you would enjoy but just yep. even though it's a show about toxic white people like the way that some people are there is like characters there's one character that i've resonated with for very small reasons but he is not in the best mental health state throughout the series and i have been struggling a little bit like with things outside of everything and just watching the way some characters talk to him, it just like hits me. And I resonate with that. I'm like, ooh, like that hurt. Like that yeah. felt a little real. Like not in a deep way, but I'm like, that 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 was an attack on me personally. <laughs> like, <laughs> Is that something you dislike though or like about the show out of curiosity? Um, it, It's not just with this show. It's with any show specifically, but with this show, I've noticed it with this character. Uh, I, I think I welcome it just because it gives me a personal attachment to this character that otherwise maybe would be someone that I didn't, 
root for as much. So now I find myself rooting for this character, even though some of the things this character does, completely despicable. But everything that every of these characters do can be despicable. But like, I think it's giving a layer to the show that makes it my experience with the show. And no one else can have this experience because this is something I was thinking of the other day. It's like, no one else in the world is going to watch the same stuff that you've ever watched. Like, you are going to have your own experience with media that, like, Alec has seen a show I have never seen before. Mm -hmm. That alone is different. But then if you map that onto the fact that there's probably one show that he could talk to everyone in the world, and there's one show on his list that is at least one show different than their list, and that's, like, super cool to me. Like, so, like, my experience with Succession is going to be different than, like, Nobby's experience with Succession. Or if you chose to watch it, your experience with Succession. That's true. So, Everybody experiences things in their own way. Yeah. So, just to, like, kind of wrap this up, because I know I am cutting it close to your time window. But uh, uh, what is the thesis? How has media shaped you? The media you choose to surround yourself. How has it shaped your personality, your sense of humor or individuality or your core identity? Like, how does that... Um, like, do you have a kind of conclusion to the exercise that we have put together today? Yeah, you know, Not to make I this think all therapy. <laughs> you're good. Uh, I think that media shaped me into the optimist that I actually turned into, and life stopped me from being naive. Yeah, and it was the life experiences later where I was able to learn those lessons and sort of understand how the world works, which is a bit of a shock at first when I'm used to only seeing positive things, but. Overall, like I, I do, I, I'm very grateful for having been instilled with this wonderful sense of imagination and fantasy and just, I guess, a bit of an escape from what would be considered reality or at least the negative parts of it. You know, I, I think it helped me be interested in pursuing happiness science, understand how I work, uh, how my brain works and how I might be able to attribute that to other people and get into work that's really helping people as a result. So I think that it has a lot of potential to do bad, but I think that when you attach yourself with the right content and when you use it as an opportunity to seek levity and fun, that it can really make a very positive, significant impact. Yeah, that's awesome. And like, that's why I think we get along because I think we're both like, at the end of the day, I think we're both lighthearted people who like have dealt with their own like issues in terms of like that are heavier, right? Yeah. But we try to bounce back and like look for our happiness. Like I think the only reason that everything that I've been going through lately has been affecting me so hard is because I had been in a very stable, happy place for a number of months. And because I try to seek out the happiness and like it's not yeah. always gonna hit. And it's okay. I'm trying to learn that it's okay that like sometimes life is going to suck and you have to sit through it and get tough through it, but it then makes the happy moments better because you know that you can appreciate them. And that's why like media is often something that I escape to when I'm struggling uh, like with outside things or even like, even if I'm in a overall good mood, but the world around me is very dark and like, there's a lot of awful things that make me uncomfortable. Just like knowing that that's the world in, I mean, like at the end of the day, I can't, like I still have to live and get through it and find my own outlets. And like, even if I'm like struggling or if I'm in a good mood, like media is always going to make me feel better. And specifically like not, not just cartoons, like in terms of like all cartoons are for everyone, but even youth media, like, uh, like you said, bluey or, um, like, uh, rewatching stuff from when I was a kid. Like, I mean, Elmo on TikTok still can be a serotonin boost. Um, yeah. Source of joy. 
like I love the Sesame Street. I follow the Sesame Street pages because there's a lot of like happiness and wholesomeness. And like something that I really appreciate about Sesame Street is like the inclusivity in their their um, messaging. Like yeah. they had something for Passover on their Instagram this week, but also something for Autism Awareness Week, like or Awareness Day. And that was just this week or in the last week and a half. Like that doesn't go beyond. They also had a Ramadan post a couple weeks ago. Like they are very inclusive. And that's like when I think about what I want to do, if I choose to venture off into the kids spaces, like I want to push that narrative forward because I think that's where it all starts. Like inclusivity starts from a young age. Yeah, you're so right. And I think that it's always a show me, don't tell me. You learn by what you see more than what somebody is explaining to you. And that's where media makes its biggest difference for better or worse. Is there anything you want to add about this topic or should we start? Uh, Justin, I thought this, this was just so much fun. Really like unpacking the different ways in which we sort of uh, experienced a lot of similar things and how it sort of shaped us. I don't know, man. I think you got a winning idea on your hands. I really hope this works out well for you. I appreciate it. No, I'll tell you offline the origins of the concept, but um, we still got things to do here because I'm going to give you the floor. What are you up to? Tell us about the Jester Brothers and everything you have going on. Now, transparently, Alec, this might come out in a few months. It might not come out right now, but so you can give a generic plug and then you can say, put a time on this. Where were we on today? April April 7th. 2023 what were you working on today if this comes out in say june or july oh man uh at the current moment we have been doing something on twitch uh with jester bros cartoon theater where we are running 16 different tournaments or something like that to find several of the best shows ever to put them in one super bracket at the end and uh every monday 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific time. If you find this and we're not doing that still, then we'll probably still be doing something at that same time slot. Uh, That's been the most fun for me is Twitch. And then I do reaction videos on YouTube, Jester Bros Cartoon Theater, and Gravity Bros, the Gravity Falls Rewatch podcast will also be active. I have some other ideas just like you, but you never decide when is the right time or whether I have time uh, to do them. So we'll, we'll stop there for now and, you know, if y'all liked what you heard today, feel free to uh, keep an eye. You can follow me, Jester Bro Alec, on Twitter. Uh, if anything major comes up, I'll probably tweet it. All right. And is that everything you want people to find you at? Because uh, I know that's more of your like page. Oh, you just gave your personal Twitter. Okay, never mind. I'm wrong. Yeah, I was like, that's oh, the easiest. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then in terms of your pop culture plug today for this series, I'm going to ask. What is the quintessential program that defines Alec? Like your it doesn't have to be your number one, but something like that is definitely an Alec recommendation, not something current. It could be current, but like something that is definitively you that like your parents would say, oh, this is what my son will recommend to you if you if they found someone with similar uh, just someone on the street. Do you want the biggest left field answer you can imagine? Let's go. The 80s cartoon Groovy Ghoulies or 70s. Let's, it is. I love it. It is the silliest monster show with non-stop dad jokes it's so bad but it's so stupid and fun it's very halloweenian vibe uh and i think that it just epitomizes fun it's some of the most fun i've ever had watching a cartoon i'm not saying it's good but i'm saying it's worth your time and you're saying it's very you that's exactly right i am the i am just fun not necessarily good but worth your time all right perfect now in terms of me (laughs) 
Brazilian Dragon Podcast. You can follow my social media at What the Fleep if you want to be in touch. Um, some of the stuff I'm doing in terms of like comedy stand up uh, will be on my Instagram at What the Fleep, but I'm accessible on all social media, including Venmo if anyone cares, um, <laughs> uh, with uh, What the Fleep. But Brazil Dragon Pod is also the podcast platform. Uh, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Same thing with the Jester Bros. Um, and uh, I would appreciate all ratings and reviews for the podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, with that said, uh, I'm going to let the guests shine on this. So I will be refraining from doing my pop culture plugs. So go watch, uh, what was it? Ghostly Ghoulies? Groovy Ghoulies. Groovy Ghoulies. All right. So go watch that. Alec, if they're, they've gotten to the end of this episode and they want to get in touch, what should they hashtag? Let's throw it back to classic vintage RHAP days. Oh my gosh, a good hashtag for today. I didn't come up with any perfect pun at the right moment today. Uh, but I think that something along the lines of as I stall would be hashtag present moment nostalgia. Perfect. All right. All right. You can subscribe to the Brazilian Dragon on all major platforms and until next time, everyone will be back with another podcast shortly. Obrigadero for listening. Bye. Bye.